Luke 9.23 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Hello and welcome back to Think This Way, the podcast of Faith Bible Church. I am Pastor Elder Bryce Beal. Today I have with me Pastor Mike. Thanks for being here, Mike. Bryce. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Bryce, do you remember back in the day when I was the only guest you could get? <laughs> but now your podcast is so popular, you get like the pastor of Westwood and Northwood. You get the great Carol Wells and old Mike. He's you were, him back though. Back. You were the traction we needed, Mike. You were the OG and you got everything rolling, I think I was so. the only one that would say yes back then. But now it's so popular. But I was like, oh my gosh, these ratings. It's huge. Get on the it's show. huge now. Well, thanks for being back. I mean, this podcast really relies upon you in that way. Uh, this quarter, we're talking about discipleship. And we're not talking about it in the sense of discipling others, but we're talking about it in the sense of ourselves being discipled by Christ and what that means. I actually wanted to start today by giving a little plug for a book that we either, depending on when this podcast comes out, have available or will very soon have available in the foyer of Faith Bible Church for sale. It'll be $14. It's just that cost from Amazon. You can also get it on Amazon. It's by James Montgomery Boyce. It's called Christ's Call to Discipleship. James Boyce, he passed away in 2000. Many people know him. He was a good friend of R.C. Sproul, for example, but he was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church, which is a very famous church in Philadelphia. People like Donald Gray Barnhouse pastored there. Uh, I think after Boyce's time, Riken was a pastor there. If anyone knows the Christian hip-hop artist Shylin, we've spoken of his, him before he attended there. So James Boyce, he wrote this book, Christ Called a Discipleship, and it is the book we've chosen for this quarter as um, saying, if you want to just read one book on discipleship, this is the one we would recommend. There are other good ones, but this is such an excellent one. Today we want to talk about, again, Luke 9.23, where Jesus calls us to take up our cross, but we want to focus in on that call, take up your cross, and ask the question more specifically, what does it mean to take up my cross? What even is my cross? I want to quote from James Boyce in that book to get us started. Here's what he says about our cross. Quote, Some speak of cross-bearing as if it means enduring the inevitable, but that is not it at all. There are all kinds of things that cannot be avoided. A physical handicap, a deficient academic background, a drunken husband, a profligate wife, people sometimes refer to such inevitable things as my cross. But they're not crosses. They are just inescapable limitations, trials. Real crosses involve the will. They mean saying yes to something for Jesus' sake. So Boyce is here saying that the inevitable suffering in our life Things that we as believers experience and our unbelieving friends and neighbors also equally experience. Things like cancer or difficulties in life. He's saying sometimes we call those crosses, but those are not really crosses in a Luke 9.23 sense. Jesus wasn't calling us to follow him and take up cancer, follow him and take up a difficult marriage. He was calling us to follow him and take up a cross, which must involve the will. It involves our decisions. But Mike, as we get started on defining cross more carefully, for some people it might seem like this is minimizing our 
what we consider inevitable suffering, I mean, pretty serious things like cancer and disease, seems like if those are not our crosses, that might minimize it. So if I'm a disciple of Christ following him, if those aren't my crosses, how should I think about those things, those kinds of inevitable suffering I experience in life? That's good. That's a good question. Uh, I just think about how God uses those events in our lives to conform us into his image, you know, to strip away the confidence we have in ourselves and obtaining favor with him and showing that we are completely dependent upon Christ. You know, and that is like the true treasure, you know, that you're treasuring the wrong things. You need to treasure this. I'm going to go with uh, Romans 5 where we, we read, you know, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. But hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, you know, and how can we have hope in these trials that we're facing is because we know that they are producing character and steadfast, that they're conforming us, right, to the image of Christ. I think back in my own life, the two most difficult times I've ever had in my life uh, with my wife and I, Aaron, uh, is once when we lost a child, and the other one was the split we went through as a church. And both of those events pressed me in to Christ like no other, where I had to just strip everything away and rely on Him to pull me out of that. And I knew I knew Romans 8, right, that everything was working for my good. Not that everything is good, but everything is working for my good. So I knew that God had this for a purpose, and he was using it to conform me into his image. And so like a mantra, I just had it over and over again through both those situations, just keep telling myself, you know, God is using this for my good. I need to rejoice in this um, because I know that it's producing these things in me that God sees that I'm lacking and that I need to develop. Absolutely, and I'm glad, Mike, that you bring up this kind of essential point about our suffering. Our suffering's not minimized because it is a trial. So if I'm a disciple of Christ, exactly what you said, the hard things we experience in life are not unimportant. That's not what Boyce is arguing. That's not what we're arguing. By saying that the hardships of life, miscarriage, disease, difficulties in marriage, etc., to say that those are not in themselves crosses is not to say that they're unimportant or accidental. For a Christian... Christ brings those into our lives in some way and uses them as a trial. I think Boyce's point is that what we should think of as a cross is not the trial itself, if it's one of those inevitable ones, because we don't choose that trial, but it's how we respond to the trial. That is really the cross. It can be the cross. So if I'm having a painful experience, if I have a cancer diagnosis, That's an inevitable suffering. The cancer is not my cross because unbelievers without a cross also have cancer. My cross is the choice that lies before me to live as someone with cancer in obedience to Christ, loving others, persevering in joy, maintaining hope in the life to come, choosing to make sacrifices for others when I feel like collapsing in on myself, choosing not to give in to despair, choosing to continue in fellowship with God's people insofar as I am able. Those 
are decisions that are all made often more difficult because of the trial. But the trial sort of provides those opportunities for me to pick up my cross. And when Jesus is saying, if you want to be my follower, you're going to have to choose to pick up a cross. That's what he's talking about is our responses to trials rather than the trials themselves. Uh, I've got here, I, I mean, obviously, Michaela and I have had some trials to these last few years, and I've got a list, but people kind of know them. Everybody listening has their own trials, and a lot of these are just those inevitable sufferings that happen in a world like ours. But again, what should I think of as my cross? My cross is not really what's happening to me, because I don't choose that. But my cross is now that that thing has happened to me, I do have a choice of what I will do. I can either disobey Christ in my response to the trial, or in a way that's often difficult, I can obey him. That's the cross. If I choose to obey him, that's the cross. It's kind of like in counseling, we often talk of circles of responsibility. So we'll often, I'll often on the whiteboard draw two concentric circles, so a big circle and a little circle inside the big circle. Inside the big circle is everything that happens to me in my life. It's everything. And then inside the little circle inside the big circle is everything that I have any say over. It's my responsibility. And it's a little circle because most of the stuff that happens to us, we don't have a choice over that. I mean, whether it's a church split or a a disease or some hardship, usually we don't really have a choice in that. And that little circle in the middle, what I'm called to do there is take up my cross. That's where I actually have a choice. I can actually do something. I can't choose if I have cancer or not. I can choose how to respond to it. When it comes to the bigger circle, it's not my responsibility. That's I just trust the Lord with that. Boyce here in this quote says, then that real crosses involve the will They mean saying yes to something for Jesus' sake. So choices actively made in obedience to Christ, not just suffering we experience. Maybe this is a little abstract, so maybe, Mike, if you could make it more practical for us, what would be some examples of real crosses that Christians take up and carry? Uh, The last podcast I listened to, you had Carol Wells on here. It's just a loss of her husband, but how you know, how she is enduring through that and has been a blessing to people and just a testimony she had to all the people that had a hand and worked with hospice. And you hear these testimonies from these workers of just what a gracious lady she was and the joy she has for Jesus. Like you hear that, you heard that poured out in that podcast, just, just that joy she still has, you know, and it's just amazing. Yeah, that's excellent. And even, you know, since this is a part of your own experience and something you've worked through too, we... We have as well, you know, we had two miscarriages. I know that miscarriage is a part of your guys' family too. What practical counsel would you give someone if they've miscarried, they're experiencing the pain, and now maybe moving out of the first stages of grief over a miscarriage, but they are wanting to take up their cross and they're wanting to follow Christ and respond appropriately to something that's almost inexpressible in words, how much pain can be involved in that. What would be your counsel? What kind of cross is Christ calling someone to pick up in that circumstance? Mm, That's good. I remember when we lost Peyton, the one thing that kept running through my mind was that for whatever reason, God wanted to spare him the trials and tribulations of this world. And I knew, 
I knew without a doubt, right, that he's in heaven. And I know that for whatever reason, God wanted him directly there. And I could rejoice in that knowing that he doesn't have to go through all this stuff that all of us go through, right? And he's there. The other one was my wife who slipped into a, a deep depression, you know, after that. And it was just like, why would God cause, you know, this event to happen in her life? And, you know, there's multiple things we look at, but now the way... You know, this caused us to make a big life decision later on in life and to sell a bunch of stuff and to focus on pouring ourselves into our children, not making it a child-centered family, but just, you know, realizing that how short that time is when they're under your roof and you only get so much time to mold them and show them, you know, the scriptures and show them the love of Christ. And we just wanted to focus on that. You know, maybe we were off in a different thing, focusing on obtaining stuff for them as opposed to pouring ourselves into them. Does that make sense? I just saw how precious they were, you know, and I don't take those things for granted anymore. I just seize those opportunities I have with my children because I know they're short and fleeting. That's a great example. I hesitate to use this reference to uh, popular media, so if you don't like this movie, that's fine. I'm not even saying I like it by quoting it, but anyways, I remember when I watched Frozen 2. <laughs> One of the songs, I just mentioned it because I heard the song and I thought, they stole that from biblical counseling because I had heard the chorus of the song a million times in biblical counseling. But it's her singing, just do the next right thing. You remember that? I never saw it. Okay, okay. Well, so it's one I of... I did say I have three sons, right? <laughs> They're really big on the it's princess no excuse, movies. Mike. Yeah. You should still see that. Um, but she's just singing, do the next right thing in a hard trial. And it does seem like, like that's a good example you give too. When you're in the midst of a trial, that's not itself a cross, but doing the next right thing. Even when you feel numb and it's painful and it's difficult, doing that next right thing, that's taking up the cross. Well, perhaps in the past you thought of all suffering as taking up a cross, and we're not going to be too strict with you, I assure you. Sometimes you'll read even good Christian authors use the cross just to refer to any suffering. Okay, But if we want to be more specific and more accurate when thinking of Luke 9.23, may the Lord help us now to think this way. 